0: All right, you can go ahead and have a seat. Thank you for indulging me with that. Um, Hey, if I haven't had a chance to meet you, my name is Dan, and I'm one of the pastors here at the Carmel campus. And today, as you've heard multiple times already, we get to celebrate baptism. And if you're a guest with us, yes, that is absolutely something to cheer for, whoever that was, thank you. Um, But what I want you to know, if you're a guest, this is something we think is a really, really big deal. Because as we see people baptized what we are seeing is a physical display of the dramatic spiritual reality of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And we are seeing a display, a reenactment, if you will, of being being made dead to your sin so that you can be made alive in Christ. And if we're going to grasp the importance of baptism and what it really means, we also need to, before that, we need to wrestle with the gospel and what the gospel really is. And how Jesus is the central figure of the gospel, but not just the central figure of the gospel, he's our source for all life. Because the fact of the matter is, the gospel isn't meant to be just Jesus's story, it's meant to be your story as well. Because the gospel is meant to encompass every aspect of your life. It's not something you add on to your life, it's not a separate compartment of your life. It's meant to Be the all-encompassing piece that holds your life together. And when we start to think about the gospel like that, it starts to change how we do everything. It changes how we do our jobs. It changes how we do our homework. It changes how we treat our family members, our spouses, siblings, uh, how we treat people at work, how we treat that person who cut us off in traffic and loads of other things. It's meant to encompass your entire life. And so before we get to talking about baptism, we're gonna talk about the gospel. And before we get to the gospel, I wanna answer the question that you're all asking is why in the world are these flowers up here? Because these flowers are here, not just because spring has finally gotten here at the end of April, but and not just because of how beautiful they are. I picked these up this morning, but they're here because they're a really perfect metaphor for what we're gonna be talking about today. Because these flowers, as great as they look right now, if we give them a week, maybe even just a few days. The look of these flowers is going to change. The colors are going to fade. The stems are going to start to droop. The petals will fall off. And all of these things will just continue to happen. It doesn't matter how often I change the water. It doesn't matter how much of that little like powdery plant food I put in that they give you with these things. There's nothing that can be done to these flowers to make them come back to life. As the petals fall off, they can't go back on. As the colors fade, you can't re-inject, you can't inject more yellow to bring the vibrancy back. And as great as, as great as like cut flowers are, and they're, they're a great touch to give to somebody when you say, Hey, I've been thinking of you. I hope you get well soon. I love you. Or even perhaps one of the most popular I'm assuming is I'm sorry. Like they're great for these things. But the fact of the matter is the minute that they were cut, they started to die. And they cannot be brought back to life. And this is the thing, these flowers, as great as they look right now, are essentially what the Bible tells us we are like when we are living our lives apart from Jesus. Because according to the Bible, when we are disconnected from God as our source of life, we are dead in sin. And sin is a word that's used all throughout the Bible, and it simply means to miss the mark. It means that we've missed the standard to which God has called all people to live. It means that we have failed to reflect his character into his creation. It means that we've failed to reflect his righteous laws to the people around us. Romans chapter three says it this way. It says, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. And with these few words, Paul makes it abundantly clear that every single one of us has missed the mark that God has set for people, for his people as his image bearers to live up to. But here's one of the things that we need to understand. These flowers look great like right now. In a week, they're going to look terrible. We can compare and contrast how they look now versus how they'll look then. But the fact of the matter is, when it comes to being dead in our sin, there are no degrees or, and no levels. All sin is equal in God's eyes. If you think about it like this, um, downtown Indy has a good number of tall buildings. Not as, not as large as other cities in the country or around the world, but large enough, right? Very tall. So if you look at this picture, you'll see the Salesforce Tower there pretty much right in the middle. And it's really easy to tell. It is the tallest building around. Just to the left of it is the one America building. Again, from our perspective, it's really easy to tell which one is taller. When we change our perspective, though, if we were to look at these from, say, a greater distance, like the moon, right, the difference becomes entirely indistinguishable. We know that both buildings will be there, but we can't see the size difference of either one of them. And that's exactly how sin is. We may look at one person's actions and weigh those or compare those against another's. But when it comes down to it, all sin is sin. And we've all sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God like Paul wrote in those verses in Romans chapter three. And from God's perspective, all sin is the same level of wrong. And this is something that we really need to understand if we're going to understand the immensity of the gospel. And it's been this way from the very beginning, from when Satan first lied to Adam and Eve. Look at Romans chapter 5, where Paul writes When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spreads everyone, for everyone sinned. There's a theological word for this. Uh, it's the word imputed. And you don't need to remember that, but if you want to, great. It's the, it's the thing you've learned today. But the word imputed simply means to bring a charge against someone's account. And when we see Adam's sin that has impacted all of us, that stain of his sin has been transferred and that penalty has been transferred to all of us, which doesn't really seem fair, right? Because I never asked Adam to be my representative, and I'm guessing none of you did either, right? Because there are thousands and thousands of years between us and him. But the fact of the matter is, his sin has penalized all of us in the same way that when an entire football team is penalized for an offsides call, the transfer has happened. Because all of us are dead in our sin when we are not in relationship with Jesus. And that deserves death. Romans 6, verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death. And in the very same way that Adam Adam and Eve's sin of disobedience brought death and separation from God into the world for the very first time, our sin has the same result result in our own lives. When we fail to live up to God's standard that he's set for all people, which is bound to happen, the result of our sin is that we end up separated from God. And when we're separated from God, cut off from our life source, just like these flowers, things may look good. They may look all right for a while. But we are dead in our sin. But here's the thing. That verse doesn't stop at the end of that comma. Paul continues in that verse, says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. We read these words and we gotta wrestle with the fact that that really is amazing. What Paul has written here is astounding. All of us deserve to be separated from God forever because of our sin, because of our rebellion against God. But despite our sin, God offers us life through Christ. And he doesn't offer us just any life. He offers us an abundant life now and eternal life with him. Life where we can be in relationship with him constantly, where we can be made right in his eyes. And we can receive this only through the gift of Jesus. Because God was not willing to let sin and death have the final say in his creation. And that's why Jesus was sent. Jesus lived the life that you couldn't live, that I couldn't live, that none of us were able to. But when he died, he willingly took upon himself the sins of all people. He died the death that I should have died. And he died the death that you should have died for your sin. But here's the thing, he didn't stay dead. We just celebrated Easter a few weeks ago and we remember on Easter we remember that God raised Jesus from the dead 3 days after dying, sealing his victory over sin and death for all time. It tells us that we no longer need to be mastered or ruled by our sinful natures. Our sins can be forgiven. We can find life and freedom in Christ. We can live a hope-filled life today and not be afraid of what comes next. We don't need to be worried about tomorrow. We don't need to be worried about what happens when we take our final breaths on this earth. Because if we've accepted that free gift of grace, we have the eternal life in Christ where we get to spend forever, all of eternity, with God and with other followers of Jesus. But here's the thing. It's not enough that these things happened. It's not enough that Jesus came, he died, and was buried and rose again for you and for me. You and I have to make an intentional choice to accept this. Because God will never force himself, faith, or his love, or anything like that on you. He wants you to choose. He, he loves us enough to give us the opportunity to choose whether we accept his free gift of grace or we reject it. Romans chapter 10 says it this way. He says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you were made right with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. Paul doesn't mince his words here by any means. He makes it extremely clear. In order for any of us to be saved, we must believe in our hearts who Jesus really is, who the Bible tells us he is, what he's done for us, and we must declare that with our words. Then we will be saved from our sin. And Paul says it twice here to emphasize the importance of believing it in your heart. That is, not just believing it, but wrestling with it at your core and believing Jesus really is the Lord of life and submitting to his Lordship. It's believing it with your entire being and then professing it with your words. It's kind of like the, the phrase, I love you. Like we hear those three words all the time and we say them all the time. Like we, we love sports teams. We love music. We love tacos. Like we hear it a lot and it means something when I say it to my dog, but it meant a whole lot more when I said it to Kristen with vows at our wedding. That's the kind of seriousness that Paul is talking about here because it's no small thing that Jesus came and died for sins that he never committed. And look, you know these verses, John 3, 16 and 17 are the most popular verses in the entire Bible. But look at what John wrote. He says, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. This These two verses are why Jesus stepped into the world that he created so that he could save anyone who would accept the free gift of God's grace. He stepped in to save you and to save me from our sin. He stepped in to save us from hell. He stepped in to save us for himself so that we can live a life that reflects his character to his creation so that we can live a life of being sent by God to show others what he's really like. And in just a moment, we're going to watch a couple people get baptized, and we are going to celebrate with them. In fact, Jerry already mentioned the fact that uh, about 20 people across both of our campuses are getting baptized today. Every single one of them has put their hope, their faith, and their trust In Jesus. They have repented of their sins and now they no longer are ruled by their sins, but they belong to God. So, as we prepare to celebrate alongside these 20 people that are about to be baptized, I want you to understand what baptism really is. First of all, baptism is a beautiful picture of our death, burial, and resurrection. Um, just as Jesus died on the cross, he was buried and three days later he was raised from the dead, sealing his victory over death and over sin. And that's, that's a, uh, baptism is a reenactment, so to speak, of that. Look at Romans chapter six, where Paul writes, have you forgotten that when you were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. When you put your faith and your trust in Jesus and you accept that free gift of his grace, you are essentially dying to your sinful nature. And that faith leads to new life as a new creation in Christ. Baptism, then, is a symbol of all of that. As a person goes under the water, it is a dramatic depiction of them dying to the power of sin. And as they are pulled back out of the water, is it a dramatic picture of being raised to new life as a new creation in Christ Jesus. Look, Jesus was baptized. His followers were baptized. And as we are baptized we obediently follow the example that Jesus has set as our leader. It's a picture and a reminder for everybody who has already been baptized. It's a picture and a reminder of what Jesus has done for those who are not yet baptized. And the second thing that baptism is, is it's a very bold statement. And I think you would all agree, like we live in a culture that loves bold statements right? Like there are people who make their livings off crafting bold statements that are used as clickbait, right? So like we love a good, bold statement in our culture. And many of the statements that we hear today tell us that we can find our identity wherever we choose. But baptism is above all else, a statement saying that Jesus is my identity, It's a a statement that says, I'm forgiven. It says, I belong to Jesus. It says, I don't want to live for myself anymore. I want to live as if Jesus is living through me. And I want to help other people in this world find their way back to God. It also says that I don't have to be afraid of what comes after life on this earth. And it also means that Romans chapter six, verse 11 is true. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. That's what baptism is. And if that's what baptism is, who should be baptized? Well, the simple answer is anybody who has put their faith and trust in Jesus. But it's not a decision that should be made lightly. Because when we choose to put our lives In Jesus' hands, it means that we are relinquishing control over every area of our life. Pastor J.D. Greer, in his book titled Gospel, writes about it this way. He says, to follow Jesus means to relinquish your right to everything else in the world. That means nothing can be off limits to Jesus. Look, when you're baptized, you can't hold your relationships, your identity, your finances, or anything else out of the water. Baptism is a public declaration that Jesus and Jesus alone are the Lord of your entire life. This is why we believe baptism is so important. This is why baptism is such a beautiful picture. And this is why baptism is something that should be celebrated. Because as we celebrate today, we, we, we are thrilled that 20 plus people are getting baptized today. But we're not celebrating the number. We're celebrating the life change that has happened as all 20 of these people have relinquished control of their life to the lordship of Jesus. They have willingly chosen to let go of sin and to be made dead to that sin so that they may be made alive in Christ. Baptism is a marker of when everything changes. And from baptism forward, God longs to fill your life with the abundance that he promised. It's not always gonna be comfortable. It's not always gonna be easy. But that is where we find the sweetest part of life is in relationship grafted back into the life source These flowers can't be grafted back into the lilies that they were cut from. But thanks to the goodness of God, you and I can be grafted back into our life source in Jesus Christ. And that's what we are celebrating today. As we see two people get baptized here and nearly 18 other people get baptized at our Noblesville campus today. Gracious God. God, we cannot thank you enough for the work that you have done for us. None of our good works are enough to put us in right relationship with you. But because of your grace, because of your love and because of your character, God, you created a way. You created a way to bring us back to life. We praise you for that. We worship you for that. And it's for your goodness, God, that we are so thankful. And so God, as we, as we continue to worship now, as we see people get baptized, I pray that your Holy Spirit, who is in this room with us, will tug in our hearts and whisper in our ears the things that you want us to let go of the things that you want, to want us to set aside so we can find a greater life in you, a more abundant life in connection and relationship with you. God, we are grateful that you see us. We praise you for your glory. It's in your holy name we pray, amen.